Thank you for joining us today for our River of Life podcast with Brother Bill Jenkins. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrofferville.com. That's rolcrofferville.com. Now, let's join Brother Bill Jenkins as he teaches from the Word of God. I'm glad to be here. Thank you all for uh, the opportunity to stand in front of you once again. Brother Derek did call, and uh, he twisted my arm. He said, Will you? I said, yes, when? So uh, I love to teach the Bible, love to preach the Bible. But tonight's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to give you a tremendous amount of Scripture. If you've got a pencil and you want to write these Scriptures down, it would do well to do that. And then when you get home, you can read them again. I'm going to talk to you about something that's very, very hard to preach about, and that's the future. And the reason it's hard to preach about it is because it hadn't happened yet. Most of the time when you hear a preacher preach on something, he'll take a text out of the Bible, and it's on something that has already happened. Tonight, however, we're going to be looking at this topic, Thus Shall It Be. And you'll notice the date down there. This was done especially for you because God knew you were going to be here tonight. Okay? Thus Shall It Be. Isaiah chapter number 46 and verse number 8, the Bible says, Remember the former things of old. That's the reason we study the Bible. Everything in the Bible is there for a purpose, including the Old Testament. Remember the former things of old. Why? For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Can we get an amen right there? Can we get an amen on this side? Amen. Now you go, just, just check it, just check it, just check it. Verse number 10 says, declaring. When God declares something, is it going to happen? Of course. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, it, I have purposed it, I will also do it. And so what we're coming to do tonight is look at what the Bible says is going to happen in your future. You don't have to go to Madame Soiree or whatever her name is and say, Tell me what's, no, the Bible has already told you. And so what we're going to do, we're going to do a capitalization of what is going to happen in the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us. God, help us to make full use of it. I pray, Lord God, speak through us tonight as only you can. Holy Spirit of God, please come down and take full control of this tonight. And we'll praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to begin... Uh, with this scripture, and uh, kind of began where you began. If you wanted to think about it, you got saved one day, right? How did you get saved? You got saved just like everybody else got saved. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. So if you are saved, it was initiated by God. Say amen right there. In fact, if you study the book of Ephesians, you'll find out 
that God knew you before the world was ever created. In fact, God knew Adam and Eve was going to sin before he ever created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden. He's a sovereign God. In fact, he knew because of their sin, they were going to need a Savior. And so before the world was ever set into being, God set aside his son to be a propitiation, a propitiation for man's sin. We serve a great God. Amen? Amen? The Holy Ghost of God was sent. John 6, the Bible says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Well, how does the Holy Spirit of God come and draw us? The Bible tells us. John 16, verses 7 through 10, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus Christ doing the speaking. It is expedient. That means it is necessary that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father. You see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. And so we see the work of the Holy Spirit of God. He begins to draw us, and he does that by convicting us of our sin. There was a day when you realized that you were a sinner. Say amen right there. Now, some of you husbands, your wife had to point that out to you probably. But more than likely, it was the Holy Ghost working through her to draw you to him. And God does that. God will use a preacher sometimes and a sermon to draw people to him. But he does it through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God comes to you and he draws you to be saved. The second thing is that your response to God's calling was the fact that you repented. When you realized that you were a sinner, you turned from that sin. In fact, the Word of God says in Acts 2 and verse number 37, now when they, and this is the people of Jerusalem, these are the ones that had cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Ghost. 2 Peter 3, 9, very important verse of Scripture. The Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. That's the reason it took us, some of us a long time to come to Jesus. I was hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ when I was six and seven years old. I went to vacation Bible school. I went because daddy had a belt. Uh, that's the reason I went. Some of you were on drugs. You were drugged to the church all the time. And uh, by the time I was 12 years old, uh, I was told that I needed to go down and get baptized. And so we went to church that uh, January 27th, 1965. And I sat in a pew and my dad sat right behind me. And Bill Gorey was the preacher. And he got through preaching there, and they gave the invitation, and my daddy pulled on my shirt. And I walked down the aisle, and I got baptized in January. And in the Church of Christ where we attended, they baptized you immediately. So that meant they had to run the water. And they sang all those dry, boring songs without any music until the water was run. And then once the water was run, and by the way, it was not hot water, I got in that water and they baptized me. I was shaking all over. My mother thought I had been, I had been gifted the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I was about freeze to death. Twelve years old. 
Wasn't long after that we dropped out of church. Now, something happened in the church. Mom and Daddy decided they'd leave the church. They took with them their three children. And my other two uh, brothers and sisters, they came along later in life. I went to church a lot while I was a teenager, but not because I wanted to hear from God. I went to church because that's where the girls went. Do like this. Some of y'all, you need a confession is good for the soul. It's bad for your reputation, but it's good for your soul. <laughs> it wasn't until after I got out of the military and met Sister Linda that we moved back to Mississippi. She said I took her back in time 20 years. It was there that uh, we started going to a little bitty church. I'm talking about 75 people would have been a big crowd in that church. And it was there in that church that God spoke to my heart. And I realized how sorry I was. I realized that I deserved to be damned for all eternity. And I cried out to a holy God, please God, if you will, save me. I'm glad that verse of Scripture said he's long-suffering, aren't you? I'm glad that verse of Scripture said that he's not willing that any should perish. And then this next one, we respond to that. How do we respond to it? Man's response to God's love and conviction is this. The repentance drew you to the experience of his love and caused you to cry out. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Thy shalt be saved. I like that. That's emphatic, by the way. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all them that call upon his name. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what does it say? Might be saved. Maybe. It doesn't even say that in the Living Bible, does it? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, it's an emphatic statement in the Greek. 1 John 4, 15 says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him, and he is in God. Y'all still glad you came tonight? What does the Holy Ghost do after we're saved? Uh, when you got saved, according to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God came and dwelt on the inside of you. And I've got a whole series of sermons. I think I've even preached one time here about the Holy Spirit of God and His work in this day and this hour. Uh, I was raised up uh, during a time when people didn't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. They, uh, they referenced anybody who believed in the Holy Spirit as a holy roller. Or maybe they had a holier-than-thou attitude. And so a whole lot wasn't ever spoken. So after I got saved, uh, I knew that I was different. I knew that I had power never had before. I knew that my desires were changing. I had a good preacher, kind of like the one we got, that brought out the truth of the Word of God. And uh, it, it began to work in my life. And the first thing I realized is that, praise God, I was saved. Amen. The Bible says, Romans 8, 15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit, what? That we are the children of God. 
and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together. He moved in, and when he did, he, he took up residence in my heart, and he began to give evidence to the fact that I didn't have to worry about dying and going to hell anymore. I scared to death of that. Listen, I had them old-fashioned hellfire and brimstone-breathing preachers that I listened to, and I just knew I was headed to hell. But when I prayed and asked the Lord to come into my life, the Holy Spirit of God came in, and he began to bring me assurance that God loved me and that he was saving me. The Word of God says, 1 John 4, 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he is us. Why? Because he hath given us his Spirit. 1 John 5, verse number 10, He that believeth on the Son hath the witness in himself. So the Holy Spirit of God, one job that he does is that he comes and he witnesses to the fact that we are saved. The second thing that I would mention to you about the Holy Spirit is that he gives us guidance. Because you are saved now, you can depend upon the Holy Spirit of God to guide you into a process of purification. We call that sanctification, okay? Here's what your Bible says, Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Stop for a minute and look at that verse of Scripture. For those whom he did foreknow. Do you know that he knew all about you before you were ever saved? John chapter 2, verse number 25, the Bible said, He needeth not that any would testify of man. Why? Because he knows what's in man. And he knew everything about you, and yet he still chose to save you. He chose to let his son go to Calvary's cross and die upon that cross that you might be saved. And then he says, after we are saved, he did also predestinate us to be conformed to his image. He's in the process, the Holy Spirit of God is in the process right now of moving in my life and working in my life that I might become more like Jesus Christ. Look what he says, 1 Peter 1, verse number 14. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. We got any people in here that used to be ignorant? Ever done anything that's, oh, that was so stupid. But as he who has called you is holy... Who called you? The Lord Jesus. So be you holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be you holy for I am holy. You don't have the ability to be holy. In your natural man, you cannot be holy. But when you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit of God and you begin to let him work inside of you, he changes your want to. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, listen to what the Bible says. But we all with open face, beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord, this is, this is wonderful. You take this Bible, and you begin to read in this Bible, and it begins to tell you how you're to live. And the more you dwell in this book, the more the Holy Spirit of God works in your life, conforming you into the image 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what the Bible says, 2 Peter 3, 18. But now grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him both be glory for now and forever. So we talked about two things. The first work of the Holy Spirit is drawing you to be saved. Second work of the Holy Spirit, sanctification, getting you ready for glory, moving in your life, cleaning you up every day. Look at this verse. Third work of the Holy Spirit that we'll talk about tonight, Romans 8.10. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, that word means to be made alive, shall quicken your mortal bodies. How? By his spirit that dwells in you. One of these days, Lord Terry's is coming, Bill Jenkins is going to die. It's going to happen. In fact, I, d- I thought probably it going to happen early this morning, but he didn't, thank God. <laughs> Been some rough days here lately. The moment my eyes close in death, I'm resurrected in glory. To be absent from the body, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, is to be present with the Lord. How'd that happen? The Holy Spirit. See, he's dwelling in me. And when I die, I'm going to be with the Lord Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Now see, if y'all were like I am, y'all probably shouting right about now. When you think about the Holy Spirit of God, and that's not even the topic that we're discussing tonight. However, this is not a lesson about the Holy Spirit, but rather about the future. So what happens in the future for the born-again child of God that's been sanctified, that is living with the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of him? If he lives long enough and the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, we call that the rapture. And it comes from a Latin word, rapar, which literally means catching away. Paul wrote it this way, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 13. But I would have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those which are asleep, that you saw or not, even as others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. I love this. With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, <laughs> the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Notice the Bible says, that we shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. When's it going to happen? There is a time appointed. Matthew 24, verse 36, the Bible says, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And so God the Father is going to tell the Lord Jesus Christ, go get your bride. Now, uh, a lot of what happens in the New Testament really doesn't come to life to you until somebody explains to you about the Hebrew customs. In fact, there's a book out there called uh, the, uh, the, anyway, forget it. I can't remember the name of it. It's the customs of the Old Testament. Thank you. 
in this book, The Customs of the Old Testament, talks about a Hebrew wedding. And in a Hebrew wedding, what happened was the daddies got together. And uh, this daddy over here and this daddy over here, he had a daughter, he had a son, the daddies met in the middle. They said, hey, you got a good-looking daughter. Yeah, everybody in town thinks so. Well, I got a boy over there, you know. He's not the smartest thing in the world, but he's a good worker. And said, How would, would it be all right for him to marry? Well, I, what have you got? Well, I got three camels. Is that all? Well, I could throw in a couple of goats. All right, I, we'll do that. And the daddy shook hands. Daddy goes home and tells his son, I got your bride. Now, you ladies would love that, wouldn't you? They may, according to Hebrew custom, they may or may not have ever met. But, daddy, he, they're betrothed. The document, they, they, they listen, according to Hebrew custom, the, the betrothal was just as binding as the marriage. She's living in her house, he's living in his house. His daddy says, Go to work and build yourself a place to live. Now, you know a teenage boy, right? Or a young 20-year boy. He's thinking about, I'm fixing to have me a wife. He would throw together any shack that he could. But that ain't the way it worked. You see, he has to build the building, and usually the building that he built was an apartment or an adjacent to his daddy's house. And his daddy has to tell him, all right, that's good enough. Now go get your bride. You got scripture to back this up. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me? You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to do what? To prepare you a place. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself, and where I am, there you may be also. So, according to a Hebrew custom, the daddy looks at the house, the son is prepared. He said, you've done a good job. Go get your bride. And the son comes, and he's got his guys with him, probably at night because they worked all the time during the daytime, but it could have been during the day, but usually at night. And he would come to the bride's house, and they would begin to herald out, the bridegroom's coming, hey, y'all get ready, the bridegroom's coming. Well, the whole time that he's over there building the house, the bride's over here, and she's laying by what we used to refer to as a hope chest. How many of you ladies had a hope chest? How many of you young ladies even know what I'm talking about? A hope chest was something that she would begin to work on. She'd put her stuff in for making her house, you know, her doilies. And she would, she would make stuff. They didn't have to run to Walmart. Honestly, it really did happen that way. And she would get her stuff together. And when she didn't know when he was coming, she just knew he was coming. And she was getting ready the whole time. And finally, the bridegroom's coming. Immediately, Daddy grabs the trunk or whatever, and they go out, and they meet him out in the she, He never comes in the house. He's there in, the, in the, 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 the freeway or whatever, and she goes out to meet him there, and then he takes her back to his house. That's exactly what's going on now. You and I, we're not over there with the Father. I know some folks are heavenly minded and they're worthly good. We're over here in the earth, and we're getting our stuff together. 
The Bible says that there's going to come a time when we'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll give an account for the works done in the flesh. I'll show you that scripture in just a minute, whether they be good or bad. So we're getting all of our stuff going. We're expecting him to return. We don't know when he's going to come. We just know that he's promised to come. And when he comes, he's going to holler, according to scripture, in the air, come up hither. And you and I, in a moment, in the twinkling of eye, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, we're going to be changed. We're going to get a glorified body because the body you got won't make the trip. Amen. And you get a glorified and you rise to meet the Lord in the air. Now, this process, the Word of God says it's going to happen. The dead will rise first and then those of us which are alive and remain. I hope I'm in that crowd, don't you? You know, death may overtake me, but I'm going to run from it as hard as I can. And then the Bible says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others to have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? That means I'm going to get to see my mom and dad again. That's going to get, I'm going to get to see my boy. He died when he was 25 years old, but he was saved. Amen. And the Bible says, when I rise to meet the Lord in the air, I'm going to get to see those that have gone before me in the race of life. Uh, when we get to heaven, here's another verse of Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye at the last trump. The trumpet of sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. Now, what happens when we go back with Jesus? He comes, come up hither! We rise to meet him in the air, and we go off to heaven. What happened? Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 record what's going to happen when we get to heaven. We're going to have worship. Now listen, we have some good worship services here at River of Life. But we have never had a worship service like we're going to have when we get to heaven. And I know the print small. Listen to what the Word of God says. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, power, all things created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. 4.11, Revelation 4.11. For thou art worthy, O Lord, why? To receive glory, honor, and power, for thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure were they created. Do you know why you were created? People say, well, why am I here? Why do you reckon I, God, ever let me get on? The you were created for God's pleasure. God wants to enjoy your life. Listen to what the Bible says, chapter 5, verse number 9 of the book of the Revelation. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof. Why? For thou wast slain. Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. And then I'm gonna, uh, I messed up and put uh, 1 Corinthians 1 16 on there again. So we're in heaven and we're worshiping. It's an awesome, awesome thing. There are three views that now come into play. One of them uh, is right, the other two, will be proven wrong in the future. 
One of them is what we refer to as all millennialism. And basically that's a big word. It was very prominent when I was back in, in, in college 100 years ago. And basically what that meant is when we were come to, we meet the Lord Jesus Christ now, we don't get to go to heaven. We come right back to earth right now. All millennialism. There is also the mid-tribulation uh, view, which means that basically uh, there's going to be three and a half years of tribulation before the rapture. Things are really, really going to get bad if you are a mid-tribulationist. That means you're going to have to suffer the judgment of God poured out upon this earth three and a half years. Or, and this, see, this is where I am and everybody hopes I'm right. If you are a historical dispensationalist with a pre-millennial, pre-tribulation view, you fall into my camp. What does that mean, dum-dum? It means simply that you believe that one day in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus Christ is going to call out and you're going to rise to meet him in the air. But not everybody's going. While we're in heaven, having the greatest worship service that ever was, this earth is going to go through tribulation. And the Bible describes the tribulation uh, as a period of seven years, possibly three and a half years if you're a mid-tribulationist. During that period of time, there is no Holy Spirit as we now know him. He is the resisting factor of our day. But this is a new day. Okay? The rapture takes place. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, the day of the rapture, shall not come except there come a great falling away first. And then the man of sin shall be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was with you, I was yet with you, I told you these things. And listen to this, very key scripture. And now we know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now let will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked one, capital W, which is speaking of the Antichrist, I believe, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. By the way, that last part, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, that's Revelation chapter number 19, if you want to find it. And I'll give that to you in just a minute. But look at this verse of Scripture. The Bible says, only he who now lets will let. What is keeping Satan from being as powerful and evil and setting up his kingdom where he's God here upon the earth? What's keeping him from doing that right now? And I know things are bad. I know that the world is full of evil and vile wickedness and all of that. But understand this. There is the Holy Spirit of God. He is the power of God working in this day and this hour. And he is keeping Satan at bay even though you may think that he's he's you know wide open no he's still being governed you remember the book of Job over in the Old Testament before Satan could attack Job he had to go get permission from God the Father 
before, and, and, and God told him, he said, now you can touch what he's got, but you can't touch him. You remember? God governed him. That's what he could do. And so Satan went and attacked his finances and his family and all of that, and Job lost it all. And then he went back before God again. And he said, but now if you let me have him, he'll curse you. And so God, again, put a governor on him. All right, you can have him, but you can't kill him. You see what I'm saying? Right now, there's a govern working in the world in which you and I live. But one day, according to Scripture, the Bible says, only he who now lets will let until when? Until he be taken out of the way. I believe that's going to happen at the rapture of the church. The Holy Spirit of God that's on the inside of me, according to the Scripture, is going to go up with me and bear witness to God the Father that I am part of the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, what you find in Revelation chapter number 4 is the seven spirits of God surround the throne of God. Seven is the perfect number of God. We won't get into all of that. Now, what about this tribulation? What's going to happen after the Holy Spirit is called out? According to the Bible, there'll be no salvation for those who have known the truth. Here's your Bible. 2 Thessalonians 2.10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish... Because they receive not the love of truth that they might be saved. For this cause, because they would not get saved, God shall send them strong delusion. They shall believe a lie that they all, how many is all? Might be damned who had pleasure in unrighteousness. They believed not the truth, but they had pleasure in unrighteousness. And you tell me quickly, well now preacher, you know the God that I, that I serve as a God of love, and he never would allow anything like that to transpire. You need to know this. When the rapture takes place, the day of grace is over. The time of tribulation is a time called Jacob's trouble or a time of judgment, and God's going to pour out judgment upon this world because Man has rejected. Notice that man is judged on two accounts according to 2 Thessalonians 2.12 that they all might be damned who did two things. Number one, they believed not the truth. You'd be surprised how many people nowadays reject the Word of God. They don't want to believe it. They don't want anybody telling them what the Bible says. They want to walk on in their own darkness and do what they feel like doing any way they want to do it and God help you if you try to correct them by telling them what the Bible says. They believed not the truth, and secondly, they had pleasure in unrighteousness. According to the Bible, there's going to be, and this goes from Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 18, there'll be days of such death and destruction that if those days were not shortened, here's your scripture, Matthew 24, 21, Jesus Christ doing this preaching. He says, for then shall be great tribulation such as not was since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor shall ever be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Revelation chapter 16 is a review, if you will, John the Revelator got this vision on the Isle of Patmos of the last days, and he recorded them for us. And in Revelation chapter number 16, man has done his worst, Satan has done his worst, and now God steps in and judgment commences. And the Bible says, and the first vial is poured out, 
upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon those that worshipped his image. And by the way, that's the Antichrist. And, and Satan does want you to worship him. And during the tribulation period, if you're, going to, if you're going to buy or sell bread or anything like that, if you're going to exist for seven years, you're going to take the mark of the beast. And the Bible says when you do, you damn your soul. Verse number 3, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains, and they became as blood. Get down to verse number 8. The Bible says the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God and they had, which had the power over these plagues and they repented not to give him glory. Can you imagine? I mean you're seeing these things unfold and yet you still won't turn to God. And the Bible says, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and the blasphemy of God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. There were voices, and thunders, and lightnings. There was a great earthquake such as not were since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. This is Jerusalem. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give to her the cup of wine from the fierceness of his wrath. Revelation 17 and 18 talk about the destruction of Babylon. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. Can you imagine anything any worse than what we just read? Now, why in the world should that even bother you? I've heard people say, well, preacher, I don't study the book of the Revelation. You know, I've got pan theology. I said, what, what's pan theology? Well, it's just all going to pan out at the end. <laughs> you know what the Bible says? Study to show thyself approved. A workman who needeth not be ashamed. Rightly dividing what? The word of God. You need to study. You need to know. Why? Because you've got some children that are lost. And if the rapture came right now and they've heard the gospel and they haven't received the gospel, they'll be left behind. And according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, they will be damned. Everyone, they'll live through this. In fact, if my calculations are correct, four-fifths of the world's population will die during the time of the tribulation. Four-fifths of those who do not go in the rapture will die during the time of the tribulation. So fierce is the judgment that God's going to put on this world. Why would God do that? Because this world has rejected God's great love. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die upon Calvary's cross. The, the worst death that you and I could, we can't even imagine the suffering that Jesus Christ went through to die upon Calvary's cross. 
And then we throw that back at God and say, no, thank you. No, God, I don't need that. I'll try and make it on my own. And you've literally spit in the face of God who loved you so much that he would give his son to die for you. I don't want to see anybody die and go to hell, do you? I, 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 you know, the, uh, there's an atheist uh, guy, and I'll not mention his name, but he's a very famous guy. And he said, if you really believe the Bible, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them what the Bible says? If you really believe the Bible. Terrible time, judgment. But that's people that are lost. You're not lost. Say amen. You're saved. Amen. You're on your way to heaven, right? You're going up in the rapture. And when you get in the rapture, hallelujah, praise the Lord. You're going in the great worship service of God. We're going to be there with the four and 20 elders. We're going to be there with the seven spirits of God. We got the four beasts with four faces on each one of those guys. They're all worshiping and they're praising God and hallelujah and glory. It's going to be a great time. You don't want to miss it. But what then? Well, according to the word of God, there is going to be that time when we are going to stand at the beam of seat judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll give you this in the next four minutes. 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 10, the Bible says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master, builder, this is the apostle Paul, I have laid the foundation of the build thereon, but let every man take heed how he builds thereon. In other words, you and I are in the building process right now. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work is going to be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon he shall receive a reward next verse if any man's work shall be burned he shall suffer loss yet he himself shall be saved i believe this verse of scripture says that after you get saved and the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life, that you are a workman for the glory of God. It is accounted of a steward that he be found faithful. You are to be in the process of building up your kingdom. The Bible says lay up your rewards in heaven. You ought to be working daily, laying up your rewards in heaven. You ought to be a soul winner. Somebody said the other day, said, I hear you're the evangelist. No, we're all evangelists. The commission is that we would all go into all parts of the world and tell the world of what Jesus has done for us. Somebody said evangelism is nothing more than one beggar telling another beggar where he can find a piece of bread. Tell what Jesus has done for you. Build it up because the day will come when it will be cast into the fire. And if you've done everything you've done so that somebody could pat you on the back and tell you how great you are, your works will be burned up. It is only the works that glorify the Lord Jesus Christ that are going to last. But I love this fact. The Bible says if all of your works are burned up, you're going to suffer loss. I don't know what that's going to entail. But I love the last part of it. You're going to be saved. Because if you were saved, Jesus is not going to deny himself. That's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 9, the Bible says, Wherefore we labor... That whether present or absent, we might be accepted of him. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done them, whether it be good or bad. Well, by the way, remember John 2.25, he needeth not that any would testify of man because he knows what's in man. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And that's what we're going to do in heaven. And by the way, when we rise to meet the Lord in the air, if you are a premillennial tribulationist, you'll only be in heaven seven years. People talking about, well, we're going to be in heaven for thousands and thousands of years. You haven't studied your Bible. You'll be in heaven for seven years. At the end of seven years, Revelation chapter number 19, the Word of God says this, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and him that sat upon it was called Faithful and True, and the righteous he did judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, his head many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. The armies of heaven which are in heaven follow him upon white horses clothed in white linen and fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword that it with he should smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back for a battle the Bible says, Revelation 19, 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies. Can you imagine this now in your mind? They are gathered together to make war against him that sat upon that white horse, king of kings and lord of lords. And the Bible says, verse 20, and the beast is taken and with him the false prophet that wrought the miracles before him, which they deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped the image. These both were cast into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Verse 21, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with flesh. Battle of Armageddon, where Jesus Christ proves himself to be victorious. The Antichrist, the false prophet, and the beast are taken, thrown into the Bible. The Bible says the bottomless pit, Revelation 14, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Satan is taken, and he is bound for 1,000 years, Revelation chapter 20. And uh, verse number uh, 1 through 3 tell us that. The Bible says in verse number 4, and I saw the thrones, and then that sat upon them, judgment was given to them. I saw the souls that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads and on their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. We call that the millennial kingdom. And uh, by the way, if you're a born-again child of God, you've been saved, you'll be reigning with Christ during that period of time. You're here upon this earth. At the end of that 1,000-year reign, 20, 11, 11, 11, uh, the Bible says that Satan for some reason is released from his prison. He goes in the four corners of the earth, deceives the nation. They come against the Lord Jesus Christ to overthrow his throne, and he puts them down. Revelation 20, 11, this is what the Bible says. And I saw a great white throne, and he that sat upon it from whose face the heavens and the earth fled away, and there was found no place for them. 
I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things which were written in books according to their works. The dead were judged according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were taken and cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was taken and cast into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Final judgment. Immediately following this, Revelation chapter 21, the Word of God says, uh, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And it should be Revelation 21 and 22. I wish whoever typed this knew how to type. This is the start of eternity. When you read Revelation 21 and 22, the Bible says that he's there upon the earth and he saw the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven as a bride prepared for her wedding day. Can you imagine? Jesus said, I'm preparing you a place. One day that place, New Jerusalem, is going to come down and be here upon this earth. And the Bible says in verse number 5, there'll be no death, no more sorrow, no more sickness. All the former things have passed away. And we'll live for, with him for eternity. Somebody said, well, preacher, I'll probably get bored. <laughs> one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. He is the God who's already got all this planned out. He is the God that recorded for you 2,000 years ago, this is what I'm going to do. It's time to get ready to meet him, amen? The Apostle Paul makes this statement in the book of Romans. He said, it is now high time to wake up out of sleep. Now, this may surprise you, but there's some folks driving up and down the highway out here and they could care less that the river of life is having a Wednesday night service. The reason they can care less is because nobody is telling them about the coming judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it, it amazes me. as I haven't lived in Florida all my life. I moved here in 1985. And uh, it has always been an amazement to me when they say a hurricane is coming. There's some people who just go about their merry way. <laughs> and no big deal. Oh, preacher, we don't leave unless it's at least a Category 3. And then all of a sudden things change. And we have a Michael that comes in at a Category 5. I saw the destruction. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if you knew it was coming, why didn't you leave? Why in the world would you ever stay? Some people living in a mobile home going to stay with a 150-mile-an-hour wind coming. But that's not foolishness. Foolishness is knowing that all that we've said tonight is Scripture. And that as sure as you're sitting in that seat tonight, it will take place. It's the Word of God. And not telling everybody you know. Not warning everybody you know. 
not being on the forefront. Listen, I, I, I had a dear friend. He's now with the Lord. He was, he was something. He, uh, he would tell folks, let me take you to dinner on Sunday. I'll be by to pick you up. I'll take you out and I'll buy you lunch. How about that? That sounds like a good deal, Brother Joe. He'd show up at their house at 9 o'clock in the morning. What are you doing here? I'm taking you to lunch. Get ready. Let's go. They'd get their stuff together. And on the way to the restaurant, they'd stop by the church. You'd be surprised how many folks got saved. Brother Joe was crazy. We used to have a place over there called the Perry Lounge, the Highway 27 Lounge. And Brother Joe would go and park in the parking lot just before dark. And when people got out of their car and started into the bar, you'd be surprised how many church members turned around and went back and got in their car. <laughs> Stacy Holton comes and said, would you please take him? He's ruining my business. No, he just believed the Bible. He didn't want to see anybody die and go to hell. What's more important? The trivial things that fill our lives, fishing, playing golf, or telling somebody about Jesus so that they might be saved from all of this. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity you give us to speak tonight. I believe the Holy Spirit of God led me to this tonight. I'm trusting, Lord God, that it's been received as it was meant to be. That, God, you speak to us in love and in grace and in mercy. And, Father God, I'm praying that you would have your perfect work in our heart and our life. In Jesus' name. Now our heads are bowed. Please, our eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. It is possible to know. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850 850- 926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30am in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.